Come with me as we dive into some of the most intimate diaries a person could share. My mission is to inspire you to push through during the toughest of times, too. Thank you for being here. This is Push Diaries Podcast, and I'm your host, Tess. Eva and Ness are on the podcast today to talk about race relations and how their lives have been affected by the color of their skin. In 2020 especially, it is important for us to open our ears, ask the tough questions, and be able to listen to people's experiences who are different than us. Many of you will recognize Manessa, otherwise known as Ness's voice in this episode, He has graciously told me about Eva and is here helping me co-host today. So without further ado, I'd love for you to hear from Eva herself. She's a woman who grew up in a very small town in Minnesota, and many of you, if you know me, you've probably heard of St. Charles, Minnesota. So without further ado, here is Eva and Ness. Episode 24. There we go, got it. Nice. So whenever you guys are ready, Ava, thank you for being on today. Ness, I really appreciate you coming on and kind of helping me co-host today. It's an absolute honor. For those of you that don't know Ness, you can head back and listen to his episode. He was on with us a few weeks ago now and kind of talked about his upbringing, his faith, and how that's really kind of guided him into being the man that he is today. I was so fortunate to hear his story, as are all of you, so be sure to go back and listen to that and hear about everything that he's doing there at Hope Fuse in Rochester, Minnesota, helping youth and kiddos there just feeling more empowered to be members of their community. Ava, tell us about you. I don't know if you guys want to introduce yourselves individually, how you know each other, and kind of what we want to talk about today. Yeah, so I think uh, I'll, I'll let... Ava, go ahead, go go ahead and start. I'll be a gentleman and let uh, the lady go ahead first. Okay. So my name is Eva Disbro. I'm 18 years old. I'm from Southeast Minnesota, close to Rochester, Minnesota, and I'm actually in college right now at William Penn University in Oskaloosa, Iowa. Awesome. Yes, and also Eva is uh, going to be playing basketball there, and she's also pursuing uh, nursing. So she forgot to add a little bit of that. Oh, uh, sorry. You get uh, so my name is Manasseh Kambaki. Uh, a lot of people call me Ness. I'm the CEO and founder of Hope Fuse. We work with a lot of youth ages nine to twenty one, youth mentorship development, and pretty much our goal is to to create and develop all youth to be leaders. So we we want to create leaders and we want to develop that mindset that everybody could be the best that they could be. Yes, absolutely. And breaking down barriers to Ness and educating the public right about how yeah. there is still very much so an adamant systemic racism in our country. And um, it's just so important that we continue to talk about these things so that we can break down those walls and really start to create a balanced playing field for everyone. Definitely, definitely. And now just to add a little bit on that, uh, we have a a partnership here with the Rochester Police Department. So that that whole partnership was uh, strategically put together so that we could change uh, the image that's going out there with uh, law enforcement and people of color. So uh, having a person of color that's a uh, you know CEO and the founder of an organization working together with uh, law enforcement, I think is going to bring change to what's needed in our current climate with everything that's going on in our country and around the world. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you for stepping up and kind of taking on that role. I know it's been a dream of yours for a long time, and it's just really cool to see it in fruition. Ava, can you tell us a little bit about, and Ness, I hope you'll help me kind of steer this, but Ava, tell me a little bit about your upbringing, your parents, kind of what your childhood looked like, and sort of maybe how it shifted as you got older. Ness and I can help you steer that conversation if you want any help, but we're definitely interested in hearing your story. Definitely. Okay, so I was born in Minneapolis, um, Minnesota, and my father left me after I was born, and then my mom had my brother and sister, and so the four of us moved down to St. Charles, Minnesota when I was around three or four years old because my mom was working at Mayo Clinic. So it's just like been the four of us, I guess. We're pretty close together. Um, We're always, we always have each other's backs and everything. My mom has always um, um, made us love everybody, no matter what their skin color is, who they are, what they want to be, who they love or anything. We were also taught to um, have open minds about everything and, just listen, I guess, in conversation. Don't just talk. Listen to what other people have to say. Um, yeah. Awesome. Eva, was your mom black or is your mom black, I should say? Because you are biracial, right? So your dad was white. Actually, my mom is white and my um, father is African-American. Okay. So what was that like for you as a young girl and for your siblings to have your dad leave at such a young age? Do you feel like you had an understanding of what that meant and what that entailed for your mom and you guys, or were you able to really push forward? It's been hard a few times. My mom, being a single mom for three teenagers is not an easy job. Um, She um, actually at one point, tore both of her meniscuses and both of her knees so she was out of a job for a while and so like money was really tight and everything like that um luckily she healed pretty quickly after her two surgeries and um found a good job that she's working at now but um it's always been a little bit different I guess like everybody will talk about how they're like daddy's little girl and everything and like I just like never had that but I also feel like I turned out just as fine um, with my mom being both a mom and a dad, I guess, and her love and support for my siblings and I. Very good. Very good. Nas, just if you have uh, any questions about that or. Yeah, so a a little bit that I know uh, about Ava and and her family. So her brother's actually, she has a younger brother. Um, He's actually one of our youth that I got in the program. So one of the things that we're going to be doing actually this weekend, I'm going to reach out to him and another boy, actually one of his best friends, uh, Sam. Uh, we might go do some golfing this weekend. But, you know, just just reaching out to, you know, to the kids that are in uh, small communities uh, when they're, you know, biracial. I kind of feel and, you know, Eva, you could kind of, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it kind of feels like, uh, you know, you're, you're in a closed cage because you have no outlet. You have nobody to talk to. Um, and also having a single mother, um, you know, so kind of. If you could tell us a little bit how that is, uh, what is life like being uh, not only a person of color, but being uh, a woman, person of color, growing up in a small town of St. Charles, you know, so like what were some things that you kind of 
got to see, you know, growing up and that you didn't really understand until, you know, maybe you got to high school? Mm-hmm. So being a person of color, I'm African-American, but obviously I'm lighter skin. So I, in my town, at hometown at least, I never really got, like, discriminated against, I guess, because I was past, like, I could pass as being white, I guess. But my brother and sister, them being a darker darker color, they have been called the N-word a lot during school. My brother even um, was told to go out in the fields and pick cotton. And there's al- there was also, like, a threat of someone bringing a gun to school and coming at my brother, too. So knowing, like, the privilege that I have of, like, having lighter skin, I know that I'll never have to worry about things that people of color with darker skin, like, have to worry about. But with my privilege of having lighter skin, I want to use that for good and help um, people who don't have that privilege speak up and just support them with everything that I can do. Um, Also, when I was younger, I was very naive and, like, uneducated about things going on in the world, like the All Lives Matter movement, Black Lives Matter movement and everything. Um, So I used to be All Lives Matter because I didn't understand, like, what, why does it have to be, like, just Black people? What about white people? What about cops? What about everybody? Why don't, why doesn't everybody's life matter? But eventually I've been talking to people of color. I've been listening to their experiences and struggles in life. And it's really been eye-opening. And, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, just to add a little bit, uh, when you know, when you mentioned, uh, you know, your, your brother and sister, your younger brother and sister, you know, they might, they have a little bit darker complexion where, um, you know, like you said, you have a lighter complexion, so you could, you know, you could pass. But uh, when you really think about it, it's actually sad that, um, we have to say, you know, I could I could pass for uh, not being African-American, but that's who you are. And also, how how do you go about supporting your brother and sister, you know, with what you just shared now, which is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's horrific because from my understanding, uh, I think your brother is the only uh, uh, person of color that in that school besides your sister. Is, is that right or is that wrong? Uh, there's one other African-American senior this year, but other than that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Eva, how many people did like was in your grade and how many people were in on average your your brother and sister's grades? Of being a person of color? No, just like your complete class. Like was oh. it under 40 or 80 people or like how big was it? My class was 62. Wow. Uh, total and then my brother and sister's class I think is 80. Right. Right. If you want to answer anything about what Ness said, too, about how are you there for them? Were you afraid after they were threatened in that way? Um, And people would associate, you know, you as the older sister. Those are some really, like he said, horrific things that that you had to also kind of bear witness to. What was that like? So it was scary, honestly, thinking that someone was going to come to our school with a gun and possibly hurt my brother and sister just because of the color of their skin. And we had to talk with, like, the principal and everything for, like, a couple of days about how we're feeling and everything like that. But in terms of, like, people calling my brother and sister the N-word, I didn't 
speak up or anything about it because I was too afraid that everybody it was like all of them against me and I was just going to get a, get overpowered and that is the number one thing I regret most in my life is not sticking up for my brother and sister other people of color and myself um and also with that and even like in Spanish class like when we were learning the colors and colors and stuff for Spanish like the color black in Spanish is negro um but people would always say the n-word instead and I never said anything or they'd in inappropriate times they'd say like build a wall um to profe and everything and I never stood stood up for myself or my teacher or anybody and I really regret that yeah you know I just want to say that I'm sorry that your teachers and your peers didn't stand up for you because I think Ness and I can both say that if we had been there whether I was white or black or he was white or black we would stand up for that and Eva you as a child shouldn't have to do that right like we're all equal and right. it's hor it's horrible that you had to have that regret. I, like, I understand why you feel that way now looking back. But, you know, just as, Ness, your teacher had told you you were never going to graduate high school, these are really awful things that never should have been spoken and mm. never should have been let fall to the wayside and happen in front of your class. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, I could I could also uh, piggyback on, on – uh, the Spanish situation, because we we had something like that happen uh, uh, at my school, but I went to a predominantly, you know, uh, it, was, it was very diverse. Um, and, you know, my senior year, I went to a, a school that was, I would say, probably 95 percent African-American, 3 uh, percent, uh, you know, Hispanic, Latinx. Uh, you know, so there was there was really no tolerance uh, of any kind of race or anybody, you know, um, th there was none of that. <laughs> so where I'm from, you know, there's, there's there's none of that, you know, but, uh, you know, just moving to St. Charles and kind of seeing, you know, how, you know, when I first moved to town, how people looked at me, uh, you know, just looked at me different or, or anything like that. Um, I mean, nobody's ever called me the N-word uh, in, in, in St. Charles, rightfully so, because I, I don't think anybody's that stupid to come at me that way. Um, you know, I'm a professional today, but there's, there's, there's certain lines that I draw. And, you know, just just, you know, speaking to your brother and kind of seeing the hurt that he had in his, you know, I could I could tell the hurt that he had in his voice, you know, just kind of talking about what goes on. Um, I mean, he just texted me a couple of weeks ago about, you know, doing a speech or talking to the school about the whole Black Lives Matter and, you know, the race, uh, um, the race that goes on in a small town. Because, you know, like I shared this with you, uh, Tess, you are, you know, in a small town, it, it feels like people are just in this tunnel vision. Uh, where they don't see anything outside of what they see in town, right? Yeah. And, and I like to call that, you know, like it's it's kind of like a, a an ignorance. Uh, Absolutely. You know, Absolutely, so, it is. Yeah. So for for you, you know, to 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 kind of realize that now at 18, I mean, that is that is normal. You know, you 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 want one, you're afraid, you don't know what's gonna happen. Um, you know, two, um, you know, it'd be nice to kind of uh, you know talk to somebody about it. So. Tess, if I could ask this next question, who do you go talk to or who did, who did you guys talk to when those race relations was happening or when, um, you know, when we we saw more black and brown people getting killed by the police? Um, so who who do you talk to at, at home or in your community? So I really talk to my family a lot. We'd have like conversations in the living room together 
about everything that's happening in the world and like what we know and like what we believe and everything. But I'd also talk to my best friend, Leslie. She's also, she's Latina. And we talk about our, she talked to me about her struggles and everything in St. Charles and just like her family and like around the world and stuff. So I just talked to my family and um, my friends about it really. Were you ever, Eva, informed by the principal or the teachers um, about what actions would be carried out against the people who made these threats? Like, do you feel like looking back now as an older woman and not just a child, that that was handled in a way you would want your child to be handled and protected by the school system? So really the only predominantly um, time I remember ever talking about the N-word or anything in class was my seventh grade year in high school or middle school. My English teacher, we were reading a book and it had the N-word in it. And he, I remember it like very vividly and stuff, but he said that um, if anybody ever said the N-word around school or anywhere that there would be severe consequences. But after that, none of the teachers or anything talked about the N-word or school shootings or anything about race or anything about that. Yeah, so that's very disappointing. So besides your, your was it your mom and brother and you all in the, and sister in the principal's office or who was all there for that? It was just my brother and sister. Okay. Yeah. And it was just like one or two meetings. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Was it a rumor or like, I know it happened, but like, did, did you know and did your siblings know who made that threat? I don't remember who made it, but what I remember is someone taking a picture of a gun, like a student. Um, Oh my gosh. Yeah. He just, um, bought, uh, a gun I don't remember what kind it was but he said that he was gonna like go to the school with it and some other stuff and he posted it on his story on his private story and my brother saw it and so he told my mom and then the principal got involved yeah but he was never suspended like as far as you know yeah that's ridiculous that is absolutely ridiculous I'm gonna I'm gonna drink my water to that yep yep you're gonna cool off on us I'm I'm yeah Oh my gosh. I, when I spoke with Ness on his episode, Eva, I remember telling him at one point, you know, with the racism in this country that stems back, you know, hundreds of years and um, the treatment still today, I, I said, I don't know how it doesn't just infuriate you to the point of violence because just hearing about it as a white woman, you know, now with the disability, it's infuriating that you guys have had these experiences and, you know, Ness and I know you, Ava and Ness, I know you well. And I know that this treatment is so absolutely astounding and, and horrific, like you said, and why should it be so normalized that white young men think it's okay to post pictures of guns and make threats? It's just not okay. And I wish I knew more of how to educate the people in these communities to not act like this. And it's astounding that, you know, then these young men, right, grow up and become cops. And 
carry out horrible actions like what happened to Breonna Taylor or George Floyd. Mm-hmm. Um, and and th- this is why the work you're doing, Ness, is so important. And Eva, even you being a nurse, I mean, you're caring for people at the very basis of who we are, right? Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what color your skin is, you're still going to administer them healing and care in a hospital. And those are the things that, you know, we've got to focus on. But at the same time, Ness, I know you can speak with us with the community involvement you're doing now. Mm-hmm. You know, how how do we, I don't know, it just, it's astounding to me. And it makes me so sad that you had to experience that. And especially your siblings, you know, were really targeted. Yeah, you know, so all this really starts at home, right? So yeah. you could you could educate, you know, you can talk about scenarios and stuff like this, but all this uh you know kids learning how to hate or kids learning how to say the n-word or anything like that it's all starts at home whether you, you know you have you don't have a father there for you um this could be this is white black whatever humans you know we, you could teach somebody how to love you could teach somebody how to, how to hate but what happens is this country is built on uh uh you know black and brown people we've been fighting for 400 years and then now that we finally have had enough and you know this younger generation your generation is, is speaking up and now, now it makes people uneasy because it's just like well yeah we know that it's there but we just don't want to talk about it well yeah. you haven't talked about it for 400 years so it's, it's time to talk about it now whether you like Absolutely. it or conversation needs to happen you know so what i would tell parents and what i would tell schools is yes people need to be held accountable for their actions because as a black person also being a man in this country a black male in this country it's 20 times harder than it'll be if I, if my skin was white. Yes. Uh, so for my little advice that I would have for Ava, uh, and if I'm saying you're not, if, you're, if I'm saying your name wrong, please correct me. Eva, right? Eva. I was saying it wrong Eva. too. Eva. It's okay. It's okay. No, no so, it's not okay. It's we want to okay. say, no, yeah. So like for me, a lot of people couldn't pronounce my name. So then I was just like, oh, you know, it's whatever. But again, it's not okay because that's what they did to the slaves. You know, they yeah. gave you a name and they, you're supposed to live with it. So when people say your name wrong, please correct them and let them know what your given name is actually is. You know, yeah. so sometimes, you know, uh, you know, like if I go to meetings, people are like, oh, yeah, do you prefer Ness or, you know, my, my first name? I'm like, well, you're going to call me my first name because that's who I am. Yeah. You know? So the little advice that I wanted to give you was being a person of color comes with a lot of uh, comes with a lot of heartache. But at the end of the day, it's going to make you a much stronger person. Because when they poke at the bear, they're they're looking for a certain reaction. And when they don't get that reaction, they feel depleted, right? So if you always be the better person, it's always going to turn you out to be better in life. And it's, you, you don't have to walk around carrying all this hate. Because once you do that, then you get labeled as, oh, she's just the angry black person, right? We, we, we can't live life being angry at stupidity when yes. people are choosing to pick what they want to choose, you know? So if you stand up uh, educated, bright, outgoing, and just being yourself, that's that's the reason why a lot of people are uncomfortable because, um, and I say this, I tell this with everybody when I'm meeting with, you know, uh, leaders and CEOs of other companies, it's like, if people of color or if Hispanics or anybody would finally realize and say, you know what? The pay that we get in now is not equal to what we are valued at. So we're going to take a strike. You know, that could be NBA players, NFL players. If, if they say, OK, we're going to go do our own thing. That's a lot of power. So what makes 
America nervous is minorities are actually speaking up and saying, no, this is what we want. Because the whole Black Lives Matter movement is every life is all lives matter. Right. But we're still fighting for us to be an equal citizen, an equal man or woman. We just want to get treated the same way as everybody else. That's all it's about. But yeah. some people just don't don't understand it, and you know it's it just I've I've chose not to lose sleep over it. So I'm I'm asking that you do the same. Uh, don't yeah. lose sleep over because uh, you're not gonna change what how some uh, some of these people feel. Uh, you know with yeah. America Great and all that other stuff, which I'm not even gonna get into. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, talk- and, and I'm so <laughs> glad you're speaking out about it, Ness and Eva, because. You know, like you're saying, obviously, we all agree that all lives matter. But when the Boston bombing happened, we didn't say, you know, when people said like, oh, Boston's strong, we weren't like, all cities matter, you know, like, we need to pay attention to the minority groups in this country. And especially Eva, you and I being women, Nessa's right, like, that's another attack that that our government can have on us not paying us equal wages. And you got to fight for it. We've got to fight for it. We've got to vote for the people in office that we deem, you know, eligible and able to care, you know, carry out equality across the board. You know, the school to prison pipeline nest that we talked about on your episode and, you know, everything that happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The Tulsa race massacre began on May 31st and extended until June 1st and honestly many days later of 1921. This was a hundred years ago. Here's basically what happened. A young man by the name of Dick Rowland was a black shoeshiner and was accused of assaulting a 17-year-old white elevator operator named Sarah Page. He was taken into custody, and after the arrest, rumors had spread throughout the town that Dick was going to be lynched. Upon hearing these reports... A mob of hundreds of white men gathered around the jail where Dick Rowland was being kept, and a group of 75 black men arrived at the jail intending to help ensure that Dick Rowland would not be lynched. The sheriff persuaded the group of black men to leave the jail, assuring them that he had the situation under control. As the group of black men were leaving the premises, complying with the sheriff's request, a member of the mob of white men allegedly attempted to disarm one of the black men. A shot was fired, and then according to the reports of the sheriff, all hell broke loose. As news of these deaths spread throughout the city, mob violence exploded. White rioters rampaged through the black neighborhood that night and morning, killing men, and burning and looting stores and homes. And only around noon the next day did the Oklahoma National Guard troops impose martial law. About 10,000 black people were left homeless, and property damage amounted to more than $1.5 million in real estate and $750,000 in personal property, which today is equivalent to $32.25 million. Their property was never recovered, nor were they compensated for it. Many survivors left Tulsa, while black and white residents who stayed in the city kept silent about the terror, violence, and resulting losses for decades. In 1996, 75 years later after the massacre, a bipartisan group in the state legislature authorized formation of the Oklahoma Commission to study the Tulsa race riot of 1921. 
Members were appointed to investigate events, interview for survivors, hear testimony from the public, and prepare a report of events. There was an effort toward public education about these events through the process, and the commission's final report was published in 2001, had said that the city had conspired with the mob of white citizens against the black citizens. It recommended a program of reparations to survivors and their descendants for everything they had witnessed and the violence they were given. The state passed legislation to establish some scholarships for survivors' descendants, encourage economic development of Greenwood, and develop a memorial park to the massacre victims in Tulsa. The park was dedicated in 2010, and in 2020, the massacre became a part of the Oklahoma school curriculum. The last male survivor of the Tulsa Race Massacre was R&B and jazz saxophonist Hall Singer, who died on August 18, 2020, at the age of 100. Generational trauma. This is a real issue. And, you know, people can hear the stories about your your siblings getting threatened and say, oh, that just happened, you know, one one stupid kid. But it's not okay when it's made into a joke and people think that it's okay to say those things and make those threats. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just really appreciate you both speaking out about it and not listening to the people that say, oh, we've already talked about this. Why are we still talking about it? And that's like you said, we're talking about it because for over 400 years, it's been an issue and our country was built on white privilege. Hey there, I'm a born Minnesotan, now Michigan girl whose life was thrown into an ineffable state of uncertainty in 2014. I was 24 years old and diagnosed with a rare deadly tumor. Superhuman doctors at the Mayo Clinic of Rochester, Minnesota saved my life by cutting me in half then putting me back together again with my leg bone. We decided to put me in a cauldron full of chemotherapy drugs for nearly a year in hopes of killing the mutated cells while my incisions in my skin from three days of surgery took seven months to heal. It was so tough, but I'm so glad I'm here with you all on the other side. My fiance Tyler and I have started creating bonus content for our Patreon supporters. Patreon gives creators the tools needed to acquire, manage, and energize their paying patrons. Having to ask people for money is difficult, and your support of this show is greatly appreciated. Thank you for sharing in my dream, and be sure to check out the bonus content online at patreon.com for slash push diaries podcast let's get back to the show right it, you know the whole system is built that way i mean just for both of you you know i'm i'm a ceo and a founder and, and i get treat i get treated differently because i am a black person but then i also get treated differently when they look at my credentials and my education and my skill set and my what i bring to the table so you know uh, my goal and i share this with my father is my goal is to make those people that don't want me at the table, my goal is to make you uncomfortable. That's my goal, you know, because you're not you're not going to push me around, right? You know, because I mean, I got an education. I bleed red just like you do. I go to sleep just like you do. I do everything like you do. So why should I get treated differently just because my skin looks a little darker than yours? Right. Uh, I also had another question for Eva. And Eva, I know you, it looks like you got some notes there, but I wanted to ask how how is the the climate at school? Because uh, I know you in Iowa, uh, you're probably surrounded by a bunch of corn. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how was how it? How is the uh, the environment, or uh, you know, like on campus or uh, the community that you were in? So the campus is actually 
I, I love it here, honestly. It's the most diverse school in Iowa, so it's like, oh yeah, it's a very big step from where I came from, small town Minnesota. And oh, because they get a lot of people from down south. In one of my classes, I have students from London, Puerto Rico, Haiti, and then all over the United States, like Washington, Florida, California, New York. So really much, pretty much everywhere. And one of the reason why I picked William Penn, too, is because of the diversity, because I wanted to meet new people and just be around new people that aren't like from my small town, all Caucasian, St. Charles and stuff. So I really like it here. Everybody, pretty pretty much everybody has a Black Lives Matter t-shirt or mask or something. Um, we've talked about as a team about kneeling during the anthem and stuff like that. But it is Iowa still. And so the community, there's still like Trump supporters and um, other people like that. But here, um, I think that we together are strong. That's like the motto here, like together we're strong and stuff. So. I mean, Good. Yeah, and and they should because I know they get a lot of. Uh, I had a friend that went there. She played basketball, um, and I know that they have a lot of, uh, you know, like you said, a lot of people from all over the the, the nation, uh, which is good. So, yeah, I love it. Yeah. Do you have any other experiences, Eva, on your notes that you want to share with us about St. Charles or experiences you guys have had as a family when you're out to eat or out shopping or traveling i mean anything that you want to share anything you want to share about your your siblings about their experiences would love to hear it so i've been posting a lot on like instagram and facebook about like the black lives matter movement and politics and stuff and so i've gotten a lot of comments from like even my family like the other side of my family like dis- disagreeing with me about some things which is fine about some things not everything but like, so I've had a lot of discussions with other people. So I posted, I think a month or two ago on Instagram and one of my old um, classmates that I graduated with told me that there wasn't racism in our own town and like everything that I, I know, I know. And like after everything I've already said on this podcast, like he still didn't think that there wasn't any racism in, in, in our town. And then he went on saying that people have been racist to him and like talking about like reverse racism and stuff. And I just I I told him straight up that like I don't believe in like reverse racism because white people haven't been oppressed for the color of their skin. They might have been oppressed for like their religion or things like that, but never for being white. And then I ended up just telling him to talk to other people of color and just try to understand and relate to um, their circumstances because that will allow him to grow and have equality for all. Absolutely. Well, good for you for speaking up and not being afraid to say what's on your mind about that because that's not easy to do, especially when, you know, you're confronted like that. But it's really, really cool, Eva, to hear that you're doing that and that you're making a stand right on your page. Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, I, you know, I, I see I see a lot of uh, postings from Eva and I know you're very passionate about it, which is, you know, you know, you have to speak up. You have to stand for what you believe in. 
Um, you know, you're going to have people that disagree with you, but it's okay to disagree. It's, you know, I, I just, yeah, it's okay to disagree just to have a, a healthy conversation. Um, I think people just need to learn, uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like yes. people just don't listen either, though, too. Like, they'll just, like, be quick to, like, talk, and they won't, like, actually try to, like, hear and listen to what you have to say, which is hard yeah. to, like, have a conversation with. It really is. Yeah, Ness, how's your experience been been with that, with your white friends and family? Have you had any issues with that this year, it being a political year, and social issues kind of running rampant more than it, it's felt in the past? How have you put questions and answers back on track with reality with people that just have no idea. Yeah. You know, so for me being a business owner, I have to be very, very careful what I do, what I say, but, you know, just coming across people that, you know, will post things uh, where I have to just keep scrolling uh, because if the more I read, the more I, I get frustrated. Um, but, you know, yeah, just yeah. having a conversation, uh, I had a gentleman uh, the other day where, you know, he's a professional, so he posted something on there, and I just I just sent him an inbox. I said, hey, you know, what you're posting is actually not true at all. It's really not about the flag. That's A lot of people don't understand that. Uh, yeah. military, uh, I have close friends that are in the military. Uh, I was I was, I was uh, in the process of uh, uh, being a commissioned officer in the Navy. Love my country. But at the end of the day, we've also had black people or African-Americans that fought in the military. Right. So it's 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 not all about what what is portrayed in uh, um, in our culture where, you know, to be a hero, it's either a white male. Uh, you never see a white female or a person of color that's portrayed as a hero or anything like that. You know, so for me, just having these conversations and, and actually just being honest with people and just educating them, uh, telling them my experience, because what happens is a lot of people just say, well, you're different. How am I different? At the end of the day, I go to bed and I'm black. I wake up in the morning and I'm, I'm black. So yeah. am I different because I haven't been arrested? Am I different because I care myself in a, in, a, in, a, in a certain way? You know, what makes me different from what is, you know, what's upsetting a lot of people? You know, and then I got some feedback. of, you know, Well, you know, you don't you know, you, you're respectful and you this or, you know, you've never done drugs. And yeah, I've never done drugs because I had somebody that put me on the right path. Um, right. And it, for example, uh, uh, the Kenosha shooting that happened, you know, and a lot of people were up in arms about that. You know, it's just like one. I, I could go into detail about that. But again, it's just all about educating people and kind of talking about your own experience, because I've been harassed by the police officers for no reason. I've yeah. been by a police officer when I was in 10th grade, if I was causing trouble when I was going to a football game. How am I causing trouble? And I'm walking to a football game, sir. Yeah. You know, so it's just it's just differently. Uh, when I was in Winona, I got harassed by the police um, there. Um, uh, and, and, and Rochester, same thing. You know, so it's it's just hard. It's just hard. And it's all about yeah. the conversation over and over and over. And um, one example, I'll, I'll leave it at this. But uh, I had one gentleman uh, complaining, uh, you know, they got a DUI, you know, and so forth. Uh, you know, he keeps his hair a little longer. Uh, long beard and, and so forth. So he was complaining about, well, why do I have to go to the judge and why do I have to cut my hair and, you know, just to be to get fair treatment and and so forth. So, you know, the, the first hour I kind of let it go by. I didn't say anything. Uh, and then somebody brought it up again at dinner. I was like, well, I don't I'm not going to shave my beard. I'm not going to shave my hair. You know, they're going to have to 
just look at me and, and, and give me the same sentence. And somebody was like, well, the way you present yourself, the way you look, you're going to get judged differently. He was like, well, I'm not going to do that. And I said, well, it must be nice for you to have an option to go and cut your hair and get, you know, the look different so that people could treat you differently. Yeah. I go and take off the skin color. I can't take off. I can't take off my skin and go back out and be like, okay, I'm back. Yeah. So I don't really, again, I didn't, I, and I told him, I said, I don't feel sorry for you. Like, I don't, I get treated differently and, and I, I could be in a suit and a jacket and a tie uh, and I get t- treated differently. So what, what makes you better than I am? Right. You know, so uh, I think, yeah, I'm going off on the tangent here, but. No, yeah. no, I think that was a really good, like. <laughs> That was a really good example because you can't just chameleon yourself into being white or brown. Like you're a black man. And again, people have so many prejudices. And and if they just only knew the challenges that the black community, the African-American community in our country have from a young age and their grandparents, grandparents, they would understand why these conversations are so important to have. Right, right. Right. And I and I, I think it's, it's, you know, like you said, it's it's very important to have and it's 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 much needed. But I also get a little frustrated. Uh, so last weekend I was in South Dakota and, you know, headed back, uh, just crossed uh, the Minnesota border there. So we stopped and it was uh, it was Jackson, Jackson, Minnesota. Uh, so we stopped at a gas station, went in there to use the bathroom. Uh, there's a 10 year old kid walking out. Uh, uh, he got a red hat on and a red hat, uh, red, red uh, uh, face mask. You know, so I said, all I had to do is just shake my head. You know, it's just like that's where it all starts. It's, yeah. it's from, you know, what grandma, grandpa or what mom and dad or whoever it is, uncle is teaching a, a young kid, you know, because I grew up with a lot of friends that are white. I still have a lot of friends that are white. Uh, you know, I, I have friends with that come from all different backgrounds and it's all about being human. Right. Uh, treat others like you would like to be treated. That's what my father said. That's what my grandma said. And that's what I'm going to teach my son. Uh, yeah. And that, You know, that's something that we teach at our program is, you know, uh, with our six core values, one of them is respect, dignity, honesty and uh, humility. You know, so just if we could teach that to everybody, the world would be a better place. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it's sad that we have to teach adults, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. 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 Eva, tell us about your mom. How has she handled this? Has she... You know, has she really struggled with seeing her three kids be treated this way? And if you don't mind, talk about her childhood and maybe her parents too, your grandparents, if you have anything you want to say about their experience with this and what they've said to encourage you. So my mom is very strong-headed. She, anytime there's like been problems at school about race or just like in, in the community or worldwide or anything, like she's very headstrong and speaks her mind very loudly which like I'm trying to do as well too but um that's just called mama bear that's right (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean she she's told us like when we were younger and like we were out like grocery shopping together as like a family she said like people would like look at her weird because like a mom with like three kids of people of color um she said people would look at her weird and like stare at us a lot but my we actually talked not too long ago about my grandma being like in, in when she was in school it was like during the time of oh, what's her name 
Rudy or something. First African-American girl to go to school. She's like 66. The woman Eva is talking about in this episode is Ruby Nell Bridges Hall. She was born September 8, 1954, and is an American civil rights activist today. She was the first African-American child to desegregate the all-white William Franz Elementary School in Louisiana during the New Orleans school desegregation crisis. This happened on November 14, 1960. She is the subject of a 1964 painting that you guys might have seen called The Problem We All Live With by Norman Rockwell. I'll be sure to put that in the show notes and on Eva's page. Ruby Bridges was the eldest of five children born to Aben and Lucille Bridges. In 1960, when Ruby was six years old, her parents responded to a request from the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, otherwise known as the NAACP, and volunteered her to participate in the integration of the New Orleans school system, even though her father was hesitant. Bridges was born during the middle of the Civil Rights Movement, and Brown v. Board of Education was decided three months and 22 days before Bridges was born. The court ruling declared the process of separating schools for black children and white children unconstitutional. Though the Brown v. Board of Education decision was finalized in 1954, southern states were extremely resistant to the decision that they must integrate. Many white people did not want schools to be integrated, and though it was a federal ruling, state governments were not doing their part in enforcing the new laws. In 1957, federal troops were ordered to Little Rock, Arkansas to escort the Little Rock Nine students in combating violence that occurred as a result of the decision. Under significant pressure from the federal government, the Orleans Parish School Board administered an entrance exam to students at Bridges School with the intention of keeping black people out of white schools. In early 1960, Bridges was one of the six black children in New Orleans to pass the test that determined whether they could go to the all-white William Franz Elementary School. Two of the six decided to stay at their old schools, but Bridges went to France by herself and three children were transferred. Bridges and her mother were escorted to school by four federal marshals during the first day that Bridges attended William Franz Elementary. In the following days of that year, federal marshals continued to escort Bridges, though her mom stayed behind to take care of her younger siblings. Bridges' father was initially reluctant, like I said, but Ruby's mother felt strongly that the move was needed not only to give her own daughter a better education, but to take this step forward for all African-American children. Um, so we were talking about that and how my grandma, my grandma's mom, so my great-grandmother, was very like conservative and wouldn't like, didn't like anything new or like didn't like change or anything. So that's how like my grandma grew up. But then, and that's how, like, my grandma kind of taught my mom how to, like, grow up and stuff. But my mom chose to sprout and go her own way and educate herself. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's really empowering that over the last, you know, 40, 50, 60 years, you know, women have been able to find a larger voice. And with that, other minority groups have, too. You know, our gender or, you know, sexual orientation is starting to be noticed and starting to be respected. And again, it just baffles me that a country founded on, you know, quote unquote, Christian principles could be so 
horrible. And I don't blame your grandma for being maybe fearful of, yeah, branching out and being something different than, you know, what white people around her maybe expected. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, Ava, do you have anything else you want to share about, you know, your dreams moving forward, what you're excited about, what you want people to know? Um, well, I'm excited to vote to yes. um, to actually be able to have my voice being heard. And, like, I was just talking yesterday with some of the basketball team about, like, if they're voting and everything. And out of, like, ten girls, me and another one only said we were the only ones that were going to vote. And I was just I was just so confused. I was like, why wouldn't you want to vote? Why wouldn't you want to have your voice being heard or anything? So, yeah, I'm excited about that. Yeah. Do you think so, you swayed any of your teammates to also go vote? If it does come up again, I will be talking to them more more about the importance of voting. Yeah, yeah it's it's, uh, it's very important, actually. Uh, looking back when I was your age and, and younger, like, I remember those two times I didn't vote because, again, being a person of color, when you're just like, oh, my vote doesn't really matter. All right, so that's like the 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 mentality that a lot of uh, minorities have in this country is like, well, our votes don't really matter because at the end of the day, you're not really treated the same as everybody else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just tell your TV, you got to go vote. Don't complain. Vote. That's right. That's right. There's so you many vote, young you people. Complain. Yeah. Yeah. You said if, if you, if you're going to complain, you got to vote. Is that what you said? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we have a lot of young people that are growing up. Like you said, Ness, there's still a lot of young people that aren't growing up, um, unfortunately, because of their small towns or their parents. So I just really appreciate you both coming on and talking. And yeah, we, we've got to have these conversations because it's still a problem today. I, I don't, you know, it's like I, I wish more people of color would vote, right, Ness? And you do too. And and but at the same time, it's like I totally understand why people are reluctant to feel like their voices are heard. I mean, even just, you know, when I was talking about Tulsa, Oklahoma and generational trauma there, that's one example. And it's called like the Black Wall Street today. Right. And I was watching the news the other night and it said that 90 percent of black and women owned businesses there were not granted government assistance with COVID. 90%. On the U.S. Department of the Treasury's website, it says, the Paycheck Protection Program is providing small businesses with the resources they need to maintain their payroll, hire back employees who may have been laid off, and cover applicable overhead. The CARES Act is implemented by the Small Business Administration with support from the Department of Treasury. In response to the coronavirus pandemic, small business owners in all U.S. states are eligible to apply for an economic injury disaster loan advance of up to $10,000. But the reality is a lot of people have been denied or not given this. The CARES Act stands for the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act. This was passed by Congress with overwhelming bipartisan support and signed into law by President Trump on March 27th of 2020. 
This over $2 trillion economic relief package was meant to deliver on the Trump administration's commitment to protecting the American people from the public health and economic impacts of COVID-19. And we find ourselves asking, why aren't more people covered then in places like the Black Wall Street? And it's it's mind-boggling, but this is exactly why why our votes matter. Because if we can elect people out of office that do not have the best interests of everyone in mind, we can get freaking assistance for everybody that deserves it, not just the people that fit a mold based on white, you know, dominance. It's just ridiculous and and so sad. And I'm I'm sorry that you know my race is so despicable. I know I don't need to say that, but I... You don't need to apologize for that. I know, Ness, but seriously, in 2020, I've got to pray about it myself because it just ticks me off. It it is infuriating. You know, as a woman and as a woman with a disability, maybe I just feel you guys a little more than the average Joe, but... Yeah, definitely. It's despicable, and I just want to keep having these conversations so that People can really learn and start to teach their children, you know, grace, compassion, patience of all people. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And then, uh, you know, yeah, thank you for sharing that test. Uh, also, you know, for for you, Ava, just just remember who you are. Um, yes. And, and if you're passionate about something, if it's positive, always go with it. Uh, I mean, young, beautiful, educated, going to be educated here. Um, just remember that based on what you look like, you're going to get treated differently than you would like to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, just embrace that because, again, like I, like I said earlier, it's just going to make you a much stronger person. Definitely. It's definitely made me a stronger person. And listen, I, I love my skin. Yeah, I do, too. I think you're both beautiful. <laughs> and I'm glad neither of you can change colors with the snap of a finger. I said I don't have to go tanning or anything like that. So I love yeah. me. See, that is good. You know, the social culture of our country, I mean, tanning is just dumb anyways, right? Like, yeah, let's all go get skin cancer. That sounds like a real party. But for some reason, you know, skin color can be so, like, sexualized. And you know what I'm saying. It's just kind of disgusting that we are so superficial in some ways. Mm-hmm. And with the ignorance, that kind of, unfortunately, sometimes further divides us and kind of infiltrates that drive for people to compare and, you know, say I'm better than you because of this, or I'm better than you because you went through that. Really, your skin color and your heritage and your ancestry is something you both should be so proud of. And I'm so happy that you guys are here in America and you're my friends and I will continue to advocate for your rights. I just so much appreciate you both being on. Definitely, definitely. And then if there's anything that you need, you know, um, I have connections here at Mayo Clinic. I'm actually going to be meeting with a, a, a doctor next week. That's She's actually located in, in Eau Claire. So we're going to have a partnership with Mayo Clinic and more than one department. You know, so one of my focus is uh, the nursing department and also for students that are in high school and college. If you, if you know when you come back home and you just want to go shadow or maybe just have an informative interview, uh, with the nurse or a physician or anything that you're interested in as a career, uh, what I could do is I could I could connect you with, with somebody uh, just to have that resource and kind of see and kind of learn more about it. 
That'd be awesome. Yeah, very, very neat. Ness, thank you again for everything you're doing for the community and, and beyond. I think the really beautiful thing about it is, you know, we talk about some young men not having fathers. And, you know, I know you're not their father, but you are a person that they aren't used to seeing as an adult, a successful man of color who has compassion and drive and determination. And they can be that too. I think it's just really empowering. You inspire me and I don't look anything like you. So... Thank you guys both for standing your ground and Eva being such a good big sister and a strong advocate for your your young siblings. I mean, this is the change that we can do, that we can do from kind of the ground up. Yes, and then your your younger brother actually just said hi to tell you hi, and he wants wants me to send him a link to this podcast. Heck yeah. Well, this is awesome, guys. Thank you so much. And if you, you know, if you guys know of anyone else who wants to talk about their experience with this, please send them my way. Ness, you too. And um, it's really been great talking to you guys both. I I wish you well, Eva. And I'm excited for you with your schooling. It's it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you. Keep me posted. I'll probably come check out a basketball game or two. Okay, I will. Definitely. Well, thank you both, ladies. All right. You guys, too. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Okay, bye. Bye. This has been Push Diaries Podcast. Please visit our website at pushdiariespodcast.com to see our mission and learn more about the guests. This is your podcast, too. I want to hear your stories. Email me at pushdiariespodcast at gmail.com and consider supporting the show by going to patreon.com forward slash pushdiariespodcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for being here. I know I haven't mentioned this much on the podcast yet, but your support on this show means a lot. If you have time, please head to Instagram and Facebook and follow me on social media. Every share that you give a friend and family is greatly appreciated, and I am honored to be able to bring inspiring stories to all of you so that we feel less alone in such a crazy time. The beautiful thing about these episodes and this podcast is it can be listened to at any time, as anyone will be able to find connections to it in ways that they can be inspired. I want to hear your stories. Email me at pushdiariespodcast at gmail.com to submit an idea for the show. Your stories matter. You are a survivor. If you're listening to this, it means you've made it through a lot of hard times. Or, if you haven't, I'm hoping that the stories will help you throughout life as you are challenged, stretched, and tested. It's important to lean on one another through difficult times as we support one another to cope in a healthy way that doesn't further isolate us. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your support. And most of all, thank you for listening.